Everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Moonlighters Club. Uh, we got video. I'm very stoked. Hey. Special guest. He's actually been here twice because I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm glad we got him here. Ryan, what's going on? My brother. Thanks for having me, man. It's Thanks good. For no, it's me. good having you here. Uh, people need to see you, man, and they got to hear you. Thanks, bro. So, uh, Ryan, let's give a... Let's see. I don't even know where we want to start. Uh, what do you do we for just, a living? We just start from the top. What, do you, um, what, do what do? I do for a living is I currently... Uh, work in account management. I work for a company called Everquote. Uh, we're based out of Kendall Square, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, basically, I talk to insurance agents, uh, men and women who own insurance agencies. Uh, my responsibility, I guess, job function would be optimizing those accounts. I'm responsible for churn, which is if somebody cancels, that falls on me. That takes money out of my pocket. So yeah. my responsibility is to basically look at any given targeted geo in any specific state. Our, draw, our job, our service that we provide to these agents is we provide consumer information. So if you went online and you were looking for an auto insurance quote, there's steps you take to get there. You know, you Google, your whatever. We advertise everywhere. So once those people come through, they're bid on by these agents. My okay. job is to drive all that traffic to them. It's boring, tedious work, but it's important. Nice. Okay, so we met at Everquote, right? Yes. An event yes. aptly called Black Knight. You, you, one of our mutual friends introduced us. Yes. And she told me about the project that you're starting. So what's yes. the name of that project and describe it? Cool, yeah, so shout out to Bree. Shout out to you, Brianna. Um, the name of the project is PATH, so it's uh, People After the Hustle. And what that is, is uh, I am an ex-convict. Um, I felt it was very important to share my story of the transition of what it was like, not only doing a lot of time um, and everything that that encompasses and entails, uh, but more importantly, the transition out of the institution. Um, because I went away in 2001 and I came home in 2010 and the world yeah. had changed, brother. That's crazy. There was, a whole, yeah. there was no texting, there was no uh, Facebook, there was none of that. <laughs> so like I come home, I'm on parole and probation and it's over now so I can say this, ha ha, I gotcha. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to have this cell phone, but you know, everybody had phones, you would hide it in like your, your crotch and I had one of those flip Cell phone, one of those uh, cell phones you can get in like 7-Eleven for $16. And so I don't know how to text. And so I'm trying to call people. And everybody's like, bro, like, text me, bro. Like, it's, you know, 2010. And I'm like, yo, bro, let's talk. I got to hit like 17 buttons just to send one letter or one word from these texts. So not just that, but just everything, you know. You used to be able to walk into a job and, you know, and, if they were hiring, you could sell yourself. And you know, now everything, was, it's, every, everything is done online. Everything is based off technology. So having a quarry, having a record, it makes it even that much more difficult for you, for us, for me specifically. Um, and so I wanted to highlight that. And people would constantly, that I would come into contact, like yourself and just a lot of other people, they'd hear my story and they're like, man, you should be talking about this, man. People should hear this. This is motivational. It's inspirational. It's heartbreaking stuff as well. So I started thinking about all the dudes that I knew as well um, that I was incarcerated with 
uh, and I'd heard so many stories. Um, and then I had known men and women who had been home for you know extended period of times, like myself, who were doing the right thing, you know, working for the city of Boston or you know successful business corporate exec. And I was like, people never hear these stories. Yeah, All no, they hear right. is like. Oh, yo, Johnny got locked up again, you know, or this one got locked up again. And I was like, well, what if I could highlight the people that are doing it the right way, that have, like, suffered through adversity and, and have come out on the other side and now they're paying it forward, you know, not just professionally, but, you know, giving back to their communities involved in, you know, just positive life shit, you know. And yeah. so uh, that that's where I got the idea. And then I kind of, like, semi-announced it and then i had like every ex-con yeah that i've ever met like yo florida man y'all want to be on your show and i'm like bro you're still selling drugs it's kind of not what i'm doing here <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm trying to like highlight the positive i'm not trying to like glorify the negativity and unfortunately um, that happens a lot, you know. I've heard podcasts that are out there, and they kind of talk, they kind of highlight the negative aspects, or they glorify the the negative aspects of prison life. And what I want, you know, people that listen to this and watch this, because I'm going video as well, um, is that that's all garbage. Like I want you to be able to see people who are doing the good stuff, and I also want you to be exposed to the lie that's been told you know, by musicians, by artists, by rappers, by entertainers, by television, by media, by the government. Um, we're lied to, especially as young, uh, impressionable youth. You know, I didn't have the excuse that a lot of these kids have that I was locked up with of coming from poverty. Um, I was adopted when I was a baby. You know, my family is Irish, my mom and dad. Uh, I have four siblings, they're five kids. I'm the only adopted one. I'm the, literally the black sheep of the family because the rest of my siblings are all, you know, white. But um, I didn't have those excuses. I had every opportunity, but a lot of, uh, of, of, these, of these guys that I was locked up with, they didn't have those same opportunities. And you're fed a bill of goods by, you know, everything, by stuff that you see, by stuff that you're, you're moved by. And so for me, it's really just about, you know, especially to the younger cats that we can get to, to pay attention um, you know, to what we're trying to do is like, listen, man, this is what can happen. Your boys and all these people that you think are going to ride with you, you'll, you'll, you'll be lucky to get 18 months of letters out of them before they're trying to slide off on your baby mother or, or holler at your old girlfriend. So just a lot of misconceptions and, 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 and lies that I want to expose about incarceration and the glorification of it, but more importantly, really just shedding light on the positive people who have come home and really like beat the odds. And that may sound cliche, it's really not. I've, I'm living through it, I've lived through it. Uh, the reason the rate of recidivism is so high is because they make it extremely, extremely difficult for men and women when they come home from prison. And that's another thing that I wanna <clears throat> affect and change by doing what I'm doing, so. Nice, man. So how long did it take you to become so, have you always been able to be open about like, who you are, your past, like your plans for the future. Did that take time even coming out? Being able, all right, I'll tell these people, like, you know, I have no problem telling people what I've been through and things of that nature. Yeah, see, like with me, like, man, I talk too much, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I, like, yeah, I, it, it was never like an issue for me to share. I guess I think I overshare sometimes. I've been told that because, like, 
I, to me, I think that that whole experience, um, when people hear it, the re reactions I get from people, um, it's such a positive and powerful thing. It makes me want to talk about it more. Okay. Um, I feel like people that don't want to interact or have relationships with you or, you know, just hear what you have to say because you've been through some difficulty aren't people I want to surround myself with anyways. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like uh, people who are authentic and genuine. And that's even something like for me, um, I guess the comfortability of it is just being a hundred percent open and honest about how I got to where I got, like the family stuff that I went through, uh, building up these walls that I broke down when I was in prison just through conversing with men who had been locked up longer than I'd been alive. So there are, there's no shame in me like about where I've been anymore. Um, but it's a very good question, and, and I, I guess the, the long answer is no. I don't really care. Um, I think it's awesome that people can see people who <clears throat> maybe not have been that great of people. I was a piece of shit. Like, when I was a young kid, I was, you know, and everybody's like, no, you know, they're good kids and then no I was a piece of <laughs> shit you know and there were reasons behind it but that was the reality like it, it was emotional damage and, and that you know I had gone through with my mom and being adopted and, and feeling not loved as much yeah. as my siblings which and I never knew any of that stuff I mean I think I knew it but I didn't know how to process it or deal with it which led me into the direction that you know I eventually went into which was the streets because I figured if I couldn't be as good as my siblings and get straight A's and be the good kid I was gonna go all the way to the left and be that bad kid um, and now like I remember I got a picture from my sister um, I hadn't been in for very long my sister's a year younger than than I am and she had had a child my oldest niece Sydney she's now almost 14 years yeah, old yeah. it's crazy time yeah. flies and I remember looking at her picture and I was you know in prison you don't want to show weakness you know what I mean yeah. because you're in prison I mean I don't know but I've seen you know what I mean? I was in there like not in like yeah, yeah I know you don't want to be yeah. that guy like you don't, yeah, you don't want to be that guy like it's a quiet tear and you just hear you know like what's old boy's name Jason Seagal and forgetting uh, Sarah Marshall he's crying he's like I'll keep it down you don't want to be that dude so like I saw that picture and it choked me up instantly it choked me up to the point to where, you know, when you're watching a movie back before you're young enough to, to realize it's cool to process emotions and feel things. Yeah. And you'd see something like really that would get you. Like me, remember the Titans got me for some reason. And I was with this girl and I didn't want to cry in front of her. You know, and that's like, prison is like that, but times a thousand. So I literally like felt the emotions building up and swallowed them. But that for me was a defining moment. I was like, man, I can make money doing anything. I can't get years of my life back. Um, so, you know, that was like, I just started kind of moving differently. I, you know, and I still did 
I still played poker in the yard. I was still talking shit, you know, doing what you do when you're incarcerated. But my movements and just my general perspective was I was being rebirthed almost, like kind of understanding why I felt this way about these certain type of things and why I behaved the way that I did. Um, and for me, that was the biggest thing that could have ever happened because nice. that involved that allowed me to kind of involve myself in like other projects like Project Youth to program in the state prisons. It's not scared straight. They bring kids in, you talk to them about your life, about how you ended up in prison, about how easy it is for yeah. anybody to be there. So, yeah, yeah man. Um, well, well, let's talk about it. let's talk about the actual transition because you're right. Sure. There, there, you there's all kinds of resources you can look at where. Podcasts, movies, TV shows, books about jail, how mm -hmm. scary it is, prison. Let's talk about the transition because I do think that people need to learn more about like what that's like. Because you're yeah. right, you go on the news, you're like, "Oh, this guy's been in jail before. Why do you commit another crime again?" So what's that? You're out, right? You're mm -hmm. out. What's what's going on now? You're out. You're out. So I get out. You looking for work? Whatever. You're like, looking what, for work. What is that like? That's you, it's it's hell is what it's like. Uh, so. One of the most important things that I learned while I was in there um, is to be persistent and just to not give up, dude. Because I knew, I knew it when I came home. I knew I was going to have to eat a, a mountain of shit, you know, just to, to basically be able to prove myself. And that is what it's like. You know, you, you're going in, you know, you're filling out a lot of applications online. Yeah. Um, when I was first released I was on parole so I was stipulated to be in a program so I was in a halfway house and they would send you out in the morning no assistance by the way like you were walking like if you didn't have family helping you um, the state of Massachusetts was not helping you the parole department at least was not helping you at all um, so we would go out in the mornings go to the library um, fill out job apps and then literally I would pound the pavement. Like I'd walk in, I'm, I'm not shy. So I would walk into places like, hey, you know, and I was honest with them, you know, recently been released, you know, looking for work, open to a probationary period, just would really like to, you know, have an opportunity to show you guys what I could do. At a Dunkin' fucking donut. <laughs> you shouldn't me? Huh? <laughs> you wanna talk about swallowing shit, like, <laughs> it's so difficult, right? Because these are jobs. People don't realize when you're in prison, you work. Yeah. Like you work. So you could work in industries, which is like a metal shop. You're carving steel. You're making furniture. People, we can, we can do things. You're right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I could do more than make you a latte. You know, but at the end of the day, I also understood... <laughs> Uh, the position that I put myself in right. and that I would have to prove myself. So that's what it was. It was literally, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out, trying to find a, you know, trying to find an opportunity. And then finally, you know, there's a call center um, because they don't care. Call centers wouldn't care if you walk in there with a needle hanging out of your arm. Like if you can make a phone call and put a sentence together, uh, they might give you a job. So luckily, uh, no needles for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was <laughs> sober and uh, went in there, and it was a political fundraising spot, which was really cool because this was uh, right around the time of Barack Obama's reelection campaign, um, which 
I was like, oh, this is this, this is everything. Like it's, it's Barack, it's my guy, <laughs> you know. Um, and and I loved Obama, so got a job there and did really well. You know, naturally, I like to speak with people, and I was you know on the phone, you know, soliciting contributions for Democratic organizations, and uh, did really well. Got promoted. Um, I was working seventy hours, seventy-five mm-hmm. hours a week. Yeah. Fun fact about parole and being in a in a halfway house is the if you are at work, you don't have to be there. So whatever time that company that I worked at opened to the time it closed, I was there. And the great thing about election seasons is we would stay open late. And they wouldn't cap how many hours you work. So if you wanted to sit in there and bang dials for 12, 14 hours a day, I did it. Shit was crazy, but you can do it. And when you're making, I mean, this is 2010, 2000, yeah, 2010, 2011, they're paying us like $12 an hour. This is Boston. So I wasn't doing that because I wanted to be there. I needed the money, you know, and... I'd work like 75 hours a week just to make after taxes like $800, $900, you know, because I'd been away and I wanted to go out and I wanted to do things. So, um, you know, it's hard. You know, you're going to, a lot of times, unless you know somebody um, that's in the union or you can get one of those plugs, which most people can't unless you're Irish and you're from Charlestown. Uh, shout out to all my all my good buddies from Sea Town. I hate all y'all. Still not in the union, uh, but but um, yeah, it's it's tough. You know, you're gonna get those jobs to where they're get well jobs. And what I did is I took that opportunity to just really grind, um, and I just kept my nose down and I worked harder than everybody else. And I I was I was fortunate to be able to be successful on the sales side, and you know, worked there and then was unceremoniously fired. Um, because they said I went on a website that caused a system crash. So basically they wanted me to drum up. We were struggling on the weekends to get turnout. Yeah. I said, hey, what if I came up with a football pool? It's already pre-picked, and every credit card contribution one of the callers gets over $25, we give them one of these pool slips. I had it rocking in there on the weekends. Apparently this site that I'd been going on for two years to do this just miraculously caused a crash and it was my fault which like it was ESPN (laughs) so (laughs) it's kind of hard ESPN's been doing it for a while so what I found out in the long run was that I I I was costing too much you know the average paycheck there was probably like 170 180 200 220 a week after taxes and I'm bringing in almost a rack so that was terrifying. You know, you lose your job, especially as an ex-con. And even though I've put in all those years of work and been doing the right thing, you know, other places don't know me. And so, yeah, naturally, like, I lost my job. I was like, shit, like, what am I going to do now? Um, I know how difficult it was the first time around. Um, the interesting thing about when you're doing the right thing is things just seem to kind of fall into place and line up. Not yeah. that you don't have to work for them, because I did. Um, but... <clears throat> A girl that I worked with, Denisha Rutherford, shout out to Denisha because I'm sure she's going to watch this, uh, and her husband, Steve, Sir Steven, um, she was working at this organization called Strive. So Strive is global. It is a five-week professional development workshop for ex-convicts and for people who are on welfare trying to transition and get off benefits. So 
I got hired to be the trainer of that program uh, uh, for ex-cons and you know for uh, some of the youthful offenders as well and that shit was life-changing that was just a life-changing uh, experience for me really rekindled uh, passion just to be in that community and being able to help people like myself who were petrified because they're coming home and they're under you know immense amounts of pressure whether it's they owe 30000 in back child support because they've been locked up for the past 10 years and they don't know what they're going to do. So many different issues. And um, to be able to like show that person how to write a basic resume, like how to say ask and not acts, like just the little things like to help people transition yeah. into being looked at uh, as somebody who could potentially benefit a company or a corporation. Um, and I did that uh, for a year and a half. Um, was really passionate about that work. I love that work. It's why I've started the podcast. Um, but when you work in the nonprofit world, it's 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 just that, brother. Yeah. It's ramen yeah. noodles and yeah. you know water. So I, I needed you know um, I needed an opportunity that was going to allow me financially to have a little bit more wiggle room. Um, so I had to take a step away from that, and I uh, got the the uh, the opportunity at Everquote. Um, and again, needed a reference there. You know, they loved me. And once they offered me, they're like, this is great. You know, last step, no problem here. Just going to run that background <laughs> check. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what company do you use? And they're like, we use HireRight. Now, being as I'm somebody who's filled out multiple, countless applications and you know, got interviewed and went through the process and then got gunned at the screening process because of my record, I know Higher Right does a detailed search. They do a state, they do a nationwide search. It's crazy. Um, so I'm like, I can't get around this. So, you know, I told them and, and they were like, oh, wow. And I was like, listen, I have a lot of references. You know, I've been home, you know, for six and a half years without incident. I'm just looking for an opportunity my numbers line up, I can help the bottom line of this organization, give me a chance. And they're like, well, who do you have for references? Um, and I did a lot of work uh, with Strive, who also worked with like Mayor Walsh's office. There was a program called Building Pathways. Um, and there's an attitudinal piece of that program that is derived from the curriculum of Strive. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Derek Reed, who's a trainer over there, um, who originally, um, uh, wrote the curriculum for like the Strive, the Youthful Offenders Program. Uh, so we went and sat with, um, I forget this guy's name, but basically they told us what we were trying to do. Long and short is, of it is, I got plugged into a lot of people who were references for me. Yeah. So when you start having like references from the mayor's office, and when you start having references from like Suffolk Superior Court probation, because I would go there and speak to men and women who had been released, you know, people are a little bit more open. And so they gave me a shot in like the first six months, I was the number one salesperson. Like, and I just started, I had no referral network. I had no pipeline. I didn't know how to cheat the system. Like a lot of other people <laughs> were doing, they're all gone now. They've all been fired. Yet. Um, but yeah, I was doing it the right way. And really that's just a testament to like knowing when I was locked up, what it was going to be when I came home. And the people that I'm going to be speaking to on the podcast, um, it's the same thing. You know, they're, they've gone through similar 
everybody's story is different, but we've all been through like similar type situations. Um, and I want them to be able to share those stories, you know, because my story is going to be different than yours or his or his. And every story is unique and special. And these stories, especially because of how often you hear people go back to prison, it's constant. So, but you're not hearing these other stories of the people that aren't going back and how we're kicking ass out here. And that's what I want, you know, people to be aware of. Um, so I think that that's uh, with PATH, uh, the goal is to literally have it be global. I want everybody to know about it because people go to prison in every country. It's not just the United States. Um, and I think if we can start changing the narrative, it's going to make it more accessible. I'm not going to say easy because it's always going to be hard for you if, 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 if you've made these types of mistakes. And I, and I own that. I eat it. It is what it is. But we can make it more accessible uh, for you to be able to have an opportunity if you want to do the right thing. So uh, the end game for me is just that, man, exposure. Uh, so please, everybody, listen. I think you're going to love it. And I'm going to do all types of stuff on this podcast. It's not just going to be me interviewing. Um, I'm going to tell stories from prison that are going to be, uh, you know, some of them are going to be funny. Some of them are going to probably be a little disturbing. Uh, I'll put warnings out before the disturbing stories, though, just in case we have any children <laughs> listening. Um, but, yeah, no, and just uh, I'm actually going to do a cooking special uh, at the beginning of June. Uh, so I have a few people that are going to come on. Uh, we're, and this is going to be video, too, so make sure you tune into that. We're making, uh, I'm making my favorite prison meal, which was a nacho meal. So all of the ingredients are going to be stuff that you can only get in the joint. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's going to be, there's going to be a bunch of different stuff. Uh, I was just doing prison it. toast. And I was like, why am I, why, I'll, I have no use for this now. Like, I, like, I was like, why don't I watch 45 minutes of this prison toast? Yo, prison <laughs> toast, though, that shit's boring. Dude. Prison toast is regular toast. Would they iron it? Like, you have toasters in, like, where I was, at least, there were toasters. Massachusetts is probably a lot more liberal uh, than a lot of states. But there's, not to give away the episode, but, like, homemade taffy, lollipops, all types of, yeah. And it's, hey, soap carvings. Stay tuned for the soap carving. Some real talented artists out there. You'd be amazed what they can do with a razor and a bar of Irish Spring. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that was that was great. That was it was pretty insightful. We could, we could literally talk for hours. But yes. you know what? I think you do need to have just monologues, man. Like when you when we get ready to see Pat, um, and I've heard like I've heard a few episodes. They're great. They were really great, and it was it, it kind of it was it was, it was interesting because I did feel like there were walls up for the first uh, your friend that you interviewed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but as the talk started going on, like there was just all this self revelation coming into play and Absolutely. pride. So I do think that's good um, to hear. And to those out there, I have again seen some content. Right, we had a little bit of video, I had a little bit of audio. Mm -hmm. So we really, uh, I'm looking forward to this, man. I really do think this, this is a narrative that needs to be told. So. Uh, PATH, what does PATH stand for again? People After the Hustle. All right. People After the Hustle. I am one of them. <laughs> I am one of them. I think that one turned off, so I'm going to go over here. People After the Hustle, PATH, please check it out. A lot of cool people are going to be on there. I'm on the show. I'm a pretty cool person most of the time. Um, and yeah, just want to thank you, obviously, man, for having me on and, and, and really just being able to talk about it. I feel the more people know about it, 
uh, and the bigger we can grow this thing, the better it's going to be. Well, Ryan, I appreciate your time. We'll yes, do everything we can to help you get that vision out um, to those. Uh, once uh, once PATH launches fully, we'll make sure to share all the links. Awesome. Um, everyone, again, thank you. Thank you to my boy Tom, who's actually behind the camera, uh, moving Shout around. Uh, you can find all, you'll be able to find all our content on the moonlightersclub.com. Podcast is readily available uh, anywhere you can find podcasts in the Moonlighters Club. It's always looking for new stories and new people to interview, so feel free to drop us a line if you really enjoy the content or if you want to tell your story. So, uh, again, Ryan, thank you. Tom, thank you. And to everyone who's listening, we'll be checking with you next time. Yes, sir.